As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. President Biden wants 150 million vaccine doses administered during his first 100 days in office. Wisconsin's vaccine rollout continues to gain momentum. Wisconsin now leading the country in the number of COVID-19 vaccine doses administered daily. But the majority of those doses have gone to people receiving their first shot. After that first dose, you're really not afforded a whole lot of immunity. The CDC says deaths from COVID-19 may start dropping a bit beginning next week. But right now, with so few people vaccinated, we need to be careful. Wisconsin's vaccine rollout accelerates while Congress and the White House continue to debate a stimulus plan that aims to give vaccine distribution and the American economy a shot in the arm. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Brian. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, February 10th for release on Thursday the 11th. And as of Wednesday morning, Wisconsin ranks number one in the country in the number of vaccines administered each day after you adjust for population size. That's a dramatic shift from just a few weeks ago when Wisconsin was nearly dead last. So Brian, I think the big question a lot of people have right now is, How did that change so quickly? It's a great question, and it's not entirely clear what Wisconsin did to step things up, but we do know this. If you go back just a short amount of time, Wisconsin was nearly dead last in how quickly it was getting vaccines from the ground out to vaccinators and into people's arms. And there have been a lot of uh, politicians, the the legislative uh, health committee on the assembly side uh, held a hearing and really called the Uh, Department of Health Services to task for why the rollout had been such a stumbling block, why it seemed to be going so slow. And what we've seen is in the last week or so, Wisconsin has done a much better job of getting vaccines that are if there is a stockpile, if they're holding on to them, they've been getting them out and getting them into arms to try to play catch up because Wisconsin's actually been so far behind that just to catch up to the rest of the country has meant this big acceleration. And so while we are number one in the country over the past seven days in terms of per capita vaccine administrations, we're still just catching up to the rest of the country in the percentage of our population that we have vaccinated. So we're doing a lot better than we were a few weeks ago, but we're still somewhere close to the closer to the middle of the pack, starting to rise up maybe toward the top third in terms of Uh, states that have been able to get vaccines from the ground into arms. Well, and even with that progress, there are still a lot of issues with people who are eligible for the vaccine trying to get the vaccine. So I know UW Health had to cancel thousands of appointments because they said, we just don't have the supply. These were people who are already signed up, who are ready to go, who are then being told, 
hold on, you can't come in to get this because we just don't have the vaccine doses to give you right now. And besides being, of course, massively disappointing for those people, it does bring about additional questions about the reliability of the system, or I guess I should say lack of system we have in place in Wisconsin when it comes to making sure you can get this efficiently and quickly if you're eligible. There are so many factors that play into this. It's a very complex process, but if you start with it, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to have the actual doses on the ground in Wisconsin. And, and that starts with how much Wisconsin is getting from the federal government, how much has been doled out to each of the states. And then you've got to get it from there into the hands of the vaccinators. That could be the hospitals. That could be uh, first responders that are are uh, trained vaccinators. That could be pharmacies. And we're, we have now well over a thousand. I think there may be a couple of thousand vaccinators in the state. And then once you get it into their hands, they've got to get it into people's arms. And we know there is that question of in what order does that go? Who is the highest priority? It started with the health care workers and long-term care residents. And now it's moved into people 65 and older. But even within that population, and there's some real great controversy of how different vaccinators are prioritizing who gets that. We're going to be talking about more about that in an upcoming uh, investigation. But the, the order in which you go is almost a moot point if you don't have enough vaccines to put in people's arms in the first place. And that's really been the, the biggest problem, even though Wisconsin's doing a better job now, Amanda, in getting vaccines that are on the ground into people's arms. There's just not enough on the ground to begin with to get through these populations. So we've seen the phase 1B approval as to who qualifies. It's 1.6 million people in Wisconsin. They haven't even started most of those phase 1B injections because there's not enough vaccine here yet. So when you talk about teachers or public transit workers or grocery store workers, a lot of them are going to be waiting until at least March 1st for that phase of things to begin. And even that is going to take a considerable amount of time to get through. I was just having conversations with some family members and friends in other states, and they were already talking about who's in Group 1C in their states. And in Wisconsin, 1C doesn't even seem to be on the radar right now. Well, in the beginning, the idea was that there was going to be this phase one that would be broken down, broken down into A, B, C, and D. And then there was going to be a phase two and maybe even a phase three, four, and five. But what really happened was... As the debate raged on about who should be included in the very first phase, 1A, that was expanded to include, you know, about 550,000 people in Wisconsin. Public health workers and long-term care residents encompass a lot of people. So 550,000, that's about a tenth of the state's population. Then you got to phase 1B and that blew up. So phase 1A and 1B combined comprises about 45% of the state's population. So we haven't even gotten into 1C in Wisconsin. We're already nearly half the state. It's almost as though at this point, 1C doesn't matter in terms of debate because there's so far to go to get through 1B. And by the time you get to 1C, you're virtually talking about the general population. There almost appears to be no plan anymore for a phase two, three or four because all the different phases of one uh, A, B, C and so on got blown up so big that it's going to encompass the entire state. Well, and that makes me wonder, Brian, and I know you've done some research on this, where we are with the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca vaccines. Because, of course, the projections that we look at, they're based on the currently available vaccines from Moderna and from Pfizer. But we do know that there are other vaccines that are being developed that we've been told for a while are, are close to coming to market, but they're not quite there yet. 
Well, it, we know that with Moderna and Pfizer, we've been getting, I think it's between like 70,000 and maybe 100,000 doses into the state each week, which will take a long time to get through the state's population at that level. So they keep saying as more vaccines are approved, we'll get more of this and hopefully as production increases, we'll be getting more. So they're definitely looking at some of these other vaccines. AstraZeneca looks like it's going to be a while. And that's because while it's being used in the UK, uh, they've come up, come across some issues there in the sort of clinical trials that have shown some either errors or some possible concerns. So they're starting a new trial that is going to take them until probably this spring before they actually apply for FDA approval here in the United States for that emergency use authorization that Pfizer and Moderna already have. So that is now off into spring before AstraZeneca is really going to enter the picture. The one that is probably more immediately going to become onto the mark coming onto the market if it's approved, is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And that is a one-dose series. And that will be significant when that comes out because if you look at the vaccines, the two that are out so far, they're both two-dose series vaccines, which means even though millions of people have gotten them, most of those people have only gotten one dose. And so until they get the second, they're not getting that full protection from these vaccine series. Johnson & Johnson expects to apply uh, any time now for that uh, emergency use authorization from the FDA. And when they do, that's still going to take some time before it gets hearings and approval. So it's not quite happening just yet, but that one is certainly closer uh, on the horizon to being approved. And when it is, that should expand the availability of vaccines uh, to all the states across the country. Yeah, that could be something that is much more of an equalizer as we're talking about the ability for people to get those shots. Now, as, as we talk about the vaccine, I think the thing on top of a lot of minds in Wisconsin is also simultaneously the COVID-19 numbers because we we saw a pretty scary peak in November, but we've been for a while now at a point where hospitalizations and cases, they're still higher than they were in the spring, but they've definitely come down since that peak point. It was mid-November when obviously things were at their worst in Wisconsin, and I think we were ahead of some other states that started to see peaks after that, and and, and we've seen the rest of the country really have concerns that we were uh, having uh, back at that time. But we're seeing in Wisconsin since mid-November, uh, and it was since there was, you know, hospitals in Wisconsin were at their breaking point. We went to, got, were invited to uh, UW uh, Health in Madison and got a peak at one of their COVID-19 intensive care units. And at the time, they had 11 different hospital wings that were dedicated to COVID-19 patients. Uh, and that has dropped dramatically since then, because at that time, in fact, just before we went to the hospital in Madison, there were 2,277 people in the state hospitalized with COVID-19. It's the highest throughout this pandemic. Uh, since then, just today, Wednesday, as we record this on the 10th, uh, it's dropped to 525 patients statewide. That's less than a quarter of the number of people hospitalized, so a drop of more than 75% in just a couple of months. That's obviously been a big relief for hospitals in terms of concerns about bed space, the need for overflow facilities, things like that. But it's also a sign that the severity of the illnesses seems to be on the decrease. The number of cases is coming down. It's become more manageable here in Wisconsin. And across the country, Trends are all going in the downward direction in terms of cases. So all of that is positive, but... There's always a but. There is. And even at 525, while that's a dramatic improvement from a couple of months ago, it's still worse than the peak in the spring when we were all in lockdown. 
the worst things got were 446 hospitalizations in Wisconsin. We're at 525 now. So there were worse than the peak of the very first wave. So while things are getting better and they're going in the right direction, they're still clearly not back to a place where it's safe to return to life as we once knew it. Well, and when we talk about returning to life as we once knew it, obviously there's an economic piece to that as well. And that's what's being hashed out right now at the federal level. So a lot of people just received their second round of, you can call them stimulus checks. For some people, it's less about stimulus and more about just survival, paying the bills that that have mounted. But there's now talk about a third round. And the Biden administration has proposed a package that basically Democrats are trying to push through in the budget process so that they can essentially pass it without any Republican support. But even that can get tricky because it's tied to an increase in minimum wage that even some Democrats are saying they may not be able to support the minimum wage rising to $15 an hour by 2025. So as much as, you know, there's been talk about what happens with this third round of of stimulus money, survival money, whatever you want to call it, even that, if it happens, could still be weeks away. And wrapped up within that is, I think it's like six or seven billion dollars. That number might not be correct, but it's a significant amount of money specifically to increase or support vaccine distribution. Uh, President Biden has made it uh, one of his you know, campaign pledges or one of his pledges as, as president that in the first 100 days, he wants to get 150 million doses out to the American public. And, and to accomplish that uh, is going to take more than just uh, desire. It takes money. Obviously, the the infrastructure to get these things produced, to get them distributed, and and finally get them out to vaccinators and into people's arms is we're seeing that it's a massive undertaking. So that is something they're looking to do, and part of that stimulus would be to give a, a shot in the arm to the distribution process and get more of this out more quickly. Time is obviously always of the essence when you're dealing with something like this, because the longer this goes on, the longer it is before thing, the economy can return to normal, before lives can return to normal, or at least what we might think of as more normal. And, and the longer it takes to get up to the so-called herd immunity level, where the virus no longer spreads easily, uh, then the longer it is before we can do all of those things. We know that the benchmark is 75% roughly they're shooting for. If we can get 75% of people vaccinated uh, or exposed to the virus, then that should be enough to theoretically knock down the the spread of COVID-19. We know that roughly 15% of Wisconsinites have been exposed to the virus, probably more because of asymptomatic spread, but we're not going to know who those people are, so you almost really can't count them. They're going to get vaccinated one way or the other. Uh, So if you you add that to maybe 60% of the population needs to be vaccinated to go along with the 15% that have already had the virus, maybe that gets us there. We're at 13 or 14% right now of the state that's gotten one dose. We're not close. We're nowhere close to that herd immunity level. And that if things continue to accelerate, that may change in the next couple or few months. But any ideas that we were going to be out of this by April, long gone. It may well be June or July before we see mass vaccinations of the general public. And then it's going to take some time to get through that process. So that's where there's this real question about will things be better by this summer? It's looking less and less certain that that life is going to be back to normal by this summer. But the the 
numbers of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations are encouraging. And the more people get vaccinated, obviously, the better toward that goal. But uh, we're still a long way from achieving that. Sometimes I look back in time and I laugh at March 2020, Amanda, who thought, you know, when we kind of got sent home from work and, and were told to start working from home, that it would be a few weeks. And then you go from it being a few weeks to, okay, well, you know, by the fall, it should be fine. And then by that, it's like, oh, by 2021, everything will be fine. And then it's by spring and then it's by summer. And now we're looking at, you know, toward the the end part of 2021, a lot of the 2021 festivals in the Milwaukee area are starting to cancel or postpone or drastically change how they do things. And it, it might sound like a, a trite thing, festivals changing up, but you know that that's a big part of the culture and the economy here in the Milwaukee area. So you There know are people whose serious. livelihoods depend on booking festivals all yep, summer long. Absolutely. And so you know it's serious. Those festivals do not make those decisions lightly. So you know it's serious when you have big staple festivals in this area saying, we just don't think we can go on this summer. It's uh, definitely different from the two-week break we thought we were taking. We thought it was such an extreme move to be locked down for two weeks, and then it was all going to be good. I remember, you know, I've been tracking the metrics that various organizations and, and government agencies and hospitals are publishing, and I remember back uh, in the 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 words that make up the acronym escape me, I-M-H-E, um, you might know off the top of your head what that stands for, but they publish these state-by-state -state graphs. Uh, and, and I've been looking at those. I remember back in March of last year that they would show these projections after a couple of weeks or months. And, and when we were in the middle of the first two weeks of lockdown, if you looked at all of their graphs, they showed the number of cases dropping to zero by early May. And we obviously know that didn't happen. And then they kept adjusting those projections and the projections have only continued to be adjusted as time has gone on. Give everybody a break. I guess this is our first pandemic, right? <laughs> we, we haven't lived through one of these before, but it, uh, it, it's been a learning curve. We still don't know when it's going to end. That's really the key. Everyone wants to know when is this going to end? We still don't know. We just know that we're on the right track and maybe it's going to take longer than is comfortable and longer than everyone would like. But the good news is the numbers are going in the right direction right now. Vaccine rollout is accelerating. There is an end in sight. It's just still a ways off. Well, and depending on who you talk to, when is this going to end can mean something different, right? So consumer Absolutely. confidence is a separate question than what's going on in the medical community. So we could be at a point where we've achieved herd immunity, but people are still so used to changing the way they behave and we don't necessarily have the consumer confidence to go out that things are still slow to get back to normal so you know when we talk about back to normal i think there's going to be there's pre-pandemic life pandemic life and then post-pandemic life uh, I, th I think there are going to be some changes that are around to stay. You and I, before we started recording, we're talking about workplace changes. I think the way that we operate our office spaces in the United States is going to have a, a drastic shift because of this pandemic. And only time will tell exactly how all of that will unfold. I'm wondering if I, I just realized this as you said that, that at some point I have to take this nice dual monitor setup I have here in my basement and take these monitors back to work. 
It's been kind of nice <laughs> you having gotta this. You got to give them back, Brian. I, I, I don't want to give them back. I like them here. But no, the, the, how we adjust to post-pandemic life is, is going to be a whole other subject and something that I'm sure we will talk about here on Open Record. And this is probably a good time for us to go off the record. The part of the podcast where we get a little more personal and have a little fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. And to ask us this surprise question, we are joined once again by the executive producer of Open Record, Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. Hi, guys. Let me just say that, you know, after last week's uh, inaugural question to this revived segment, um, which I'm not going to repeat because if you want to listen to it, listen to last week's podcast uh, <laughs> where we had Jenna Sachs on. <laughs> um, so I love the backward of, tease. That's, yeah, nice. that's right. That's right. Can't give it all away. That's why she's the boss. <laughs> so this week's question is this. I am going to break into your houses. Um, but all I want to steal, I know, but all I want to steal is what's on top of your refrigerator. So what am I leaving your house with? You're going to be disappointed, <laughs> it, it, like in the value of what you're leaving with. So I, now, first of all, I have to set the scene that I have my refrigerator in the kitchen and then I have a beat up old rusty refrigerator in my garage that's for like drinks and overflow things that I bought from like a a Habitat Restore years ago. And that one has more room because the one in my kitchen doesn't really have much room on top of it. So the only thing on top of it is a, a plastic microwave, like a cover for food. That you, and If you want to leave with that, but be my guest, Sarah, it's all yours. Uh, <laughs> but the garage has more room. So I end up storing a lot of stuff. I have, this would be valuable. I have uh, Ryobi power tools. Like uh, I have a, a, you know, a regular uh, power drill. I have a... Um, uh, a, a shop light um, and then the charger and things like that. So, yeah. I've, and then I have, like, that's where I also stick the the water, you know, the big flat of water that you get the stuff from, you know, Meyer or wherever I grab it. I have a whole flat of water and I just grab those as I go. So you can take some bottled water or you can have Ryobi power tools. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd probably take the tools, but can I just back up that? Is it like a Wisconsin thing? Because we have one too, but when you have like a beer fridge outside in the garage or like the, the, I didn't the wanna, fridge, I didn't want to call like it a beer drinks. fridge, but it well, does, it's a beer it fridge. does have yeah. beer in it. It's, but, but so it has beer, it has uh, sodas and things and Gatorades and whatever. And it also ends up being the place where I, you know, if I have some extra fresh, you know, maybe we got some ground turkey or some other, you know, raw chicken or something that I don't have room for in the fridge upstairs. I stick it in there. It's for, a beer you know, a and days. meat fridge. It's, it's a beer and meat fridge. It is. And, and it works uh, very, very well. So is that is that a Wisconsin thing? I don't know. I mean, there's probably a greater need for the overflow beer fridge in Wisconsin. Yeah, but I feel like. Beer and meat is a Wisconsin thing. <laughs> I actually okay. went downstairs to check. We used to keep nothing on top of our refrigerator. And then um, for Christmas, my mother-in-law got our toddler this little like step stool that she drags around the house and uses it to reach everything. So now we have a lot of things on top of our fridge. Because it's the only thing in the house that she can't reach <laughs> high enough. Did you so, just oh, wait? You're, no, you're looking right I'm now. Literally you're on looking, a step stool. I'm oh looking gosh, right now. I'm on the step stool. And I'm looking on top of the fridge. So, Sarah, if you broke in, you would walk away with a bottle of Maker's Mark. Oh, that's a, worth the price of admission right there. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, please don't break into my house. <laughs> um, a, a bag of potatoes, um, which is a risky move because we did keep potatoes up there once and forgot about them. So. And they grew more potatoes? No, apparently, <laughs> apparently we are um, trying that again. Um, an empty beer growler and a wine aerator and three bananas. That's what you would leave with. Wow. I, what I found really compelling about that is the you started that story by telling us how your toddler got a step stool and puts <laughs> things on top, and the first thing you found was a bottle of Maker's Mark. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to put those two parts well, of the no, story we together. Got the ste- we have to put stuff on the fridge because it's the only place she can't reach on the step stool. Oh, okay. So I thought you were saying that she was depo- I thought she was depositing things up there. No, 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 no. no. We deposit things up there so she can't get it. So okay. the maker's mark is up there for that reason. That makes better sense. It seems super high to put your bananas. I mean, I, I don't think altitude, you know, ch- she, <laughs> yeah, them, no, but. she, um, she also like is eating us out of house and home. So, um, any food item that she likes, including bananas, um, that goes, that goes on top of the fridge. So. Just, just wait until you have a 16 and 18 year old and others in the house. Talk about being eaten out of house. Oh, I grew up with five brothers. I know. Uh, it, it doesn't I know become how that less. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, you asked the question, but we don't know if we were to break into your home. Yes. What we would get from the top. <laughs> you of would the le- you would leave with nothing. <laughs> we don't. Um, <laughs> no, I take that back. We have two and a half empty egg cartons up there. Because <laughs> and why is that the place that empty half? egg cartons go? Well, a half because if we only hard boil six eggs, then why take up the space that we don't need? So we hard boil a lot of eggs at one time because we enjoy them, and so we keep uh, the empty containers up there with H's on them, so we know which ones are hard boiled in the fridge and which ones are raw. So. All right, but it's, but here here's the thing: when you buy a new carton of eggs that you can hard boil. It comes with its own container. <laughs> no, I'm aware. Each time, right? <laughs> you just don't want to but, take the time to have to mark one with H's? No, but also we... Uh, okay, this is getting way in the weeds, but my husband's co-worker <laughs> raises chickens, and so she's always asking co-workers for empty um, uh, egg cartons to put her chickens' eggs in. So I'm always like, oh, just give them to your co-worker. And so Eric's got this random stack of egg cartons, you know, until he gets enough to bring them in. Uh, short story long. That makes You're leaving sense. with a couple empty right. egg cartons. <laughs> so anyway, but our beer cooler outside, our beer fridge, there's a bunch of coolers up there. So you, you know, that would probably be pretty, pretty practical to leave with, but. Amanda, now we, we, it's been discovered, and you've been in Wisconsin now, obviously, for a while, but, you know, having come from Pennsylvania and other parts out east, uh, I, I guess you guys have to adapt to the Wisconsin second fridge, and you're going to have to have a beer fridge in the garage now. Yeah, we actually had a beer fridge in Pennsylvania, and we do not in Wisconsin, so I think that just makes us bad Wisconsinites. Also, I'm well, not and I- drinking a lot of beer lately, so fair but when i we didn't have the second fridge until we had a second child so it just seemed like we had so much frozen <laughs> and <laughs> yeah i don't know so more beer you need more beer when that second that comes. that too yeah 
Well, Sarah, as always, a very random yet insightful question. If you have a question you want to submit for our off-the-record segment, if you want to suggest a topic we should discuss, an issue we should investigate, please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, our editor Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and for Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back again next week. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.